Genesis 29, verse 31 through 30, verse 24. We echo the same refrain as we do at the beginning of every week lately. This is a weird passage. But God has much to say about this passage. And there's a great deal to see. So, without any setup, let's dive right into Genesis 29, verse 31, and read all the way through 30, verse 24. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and she said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again. And bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf and even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife and Jacob went into her and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she gave him the name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw... She ceased bearing children. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found some mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. 
When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. It is difficult to read this passage of scripture without crying. Because this scripture is very difficult. Um, You see, these these are women who struggle with barrenness in a way that is painful for anyone to read. So before we go anywhere, I want you to hear um, God cares a great deal for this plight. He does not treat it casually. It, it is not something that we should breeze past in Scripture, that God brings this story to the forefront multiple times in the Bible. A woman who cannot bear children. It happens often. Indeed, there are women in the Scripture who are Godly women who have no children. Their worth, just before we dive anywhere, their worth is not found in bearing children. Indeed, no one's worth is found in what they can do. Their worth is found in praising the name of the Lord. In the praise of the name of the Lord. So, I wanted to say that from the outset. We do not take these passages lightly or just skim over them. Though they are strange and bizarre passages to us, and though they are difficult to walk through, this particular chapter, I want you to know, I can't read it without crying. Because these women, these two women, Rachel and Leah, miss the point, the entire And their lousy husband is a worthless example of a man. So, now that I've made this passage very depressing and serious, let's dive in. The story has a framework, right? This particular story is the ending of a framework in particular. Back in chapter, way back, in chapter um, 25... Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for some stew. 
You'll notice at the end of this chapter, Rachel sells her husband for some fruit. Did you notice? This is the bookend, right? The first part of the frame is back when Esau sells his birthright for stew. Second, the other bookend is here when Rachel sells her husband for some fruit. Then you have in chapter 26, the switch of Isaac, uh, the switch on Isaac, a man in the dark. We talked about this last week. A man who's in the dark, he can't see anything, gets the oldest swap for the youngest. And then Jacob with Laban, a man who's in the dark, who can't see anything, gets the oldest swap for the youngest. Right? So you got those two coming in further. And then right in the middle is this experience that Jacob has at Bethel, where he sees God going up and down a ladder. So before you go any further into the story, see this bookend pattern. And right in the middle is God's presence. God engaging with man on earth from an invisible ladder in a place where no one can see. Right there in the middle. It should draw our minds as readers to go, Oh, God is present even though everyone in the story is trying to do things on their own. God is accomplishing His purpose even though every person in the story is trying to be righteous and find their own fulfillment in their own activities and their own works. God is constant. Also, I want to make a brief note about um, intimacy, sex, and polygamy. The Bible never proves of polygamy. It's never proved of it. It just happened. In fact, God frequently shows it to be very wicked. When God set forward man in creation, he made one man and one woman and put them together. That is clearly his design for marriage. Not one man and three women. Not one man and a woman and then multiple women that he gets to look at. One man and one woman. Polygamy is gross and is not beautiful. And wherever it occurs in Scripture, it is always negative. Here, this is a negative thing. God will redeem sinful activity. God will redeem sinful man. But this is not good. What we read in this story is not a good thing. Four women, one man, not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. Even Jacob is miserable in this story. <laughs> Even Jacob is miserable. And indeed, if you are a man who has struggled with issues of looking at inappropriate things, you know that even you struggle. And you are miserable when you are looking at more than one woman. Miserable. I didn't want to mince any words with that. I hope that was clear enough. Um, also, to point out in the Hebrew text, the word used for lay with here is gross. It's not the word to know. When Adam loves his wife, he knows Eve, and she bears a child. Here, this is sex, not intimacy, not love. 
even the Hebrew word that is used is heightened to show you that this is gross. So I want to be clear before we go anywhere. The only joy to be found in this story is in the praise of a Lord who redeems sinful people. The only joy to be found in any story is the praise of a Lord who redeems sinful people. Now, polygamy in the Bible is never proved and always leads to war. I want to point that out too. Whenever there's multiple wives, there's always war shortly following. Indeed, Ishmael and Isaac, the offspring of Abraham, will war for the rest of time until God returns. Edom and Israel war constantly. David's sons war because he has multiple wives. Even Jacob's own kids are going to fight with each other and war together. And they are the people of Israel. And they're going to have war because of these issues in a couple chapters. This is never approved of. So, with that framework, seeing the bookends, recognizing that God is in the center, that God is still working despite sinful activity and despite sinful behavior, recognizing those things, seeing that polygamy is not approved of, that this is not a happy story, that this is kind of gross. Uh, let's dive in. Leah starts us. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. <clears throat> but Rachel was barren. So the frame goes like this. Jacob loves Rachel. He thinks Rachel is beautiful. Remember, we talked about last week, this is really because Rachel is pretty and Leah is not. And Jacob is shallow. And he loves one more than the other. He treats one with more respect than the other. He gives one more affection than the other. And Leah gets overlooked. The Bible says she is hated. There's no way to dance around this term in Hebrew. It means hated. Some pastors will dance around this. I read a bunch and they'll, they'll kind of try to jump around and go, hated doesn't mean hated. I mean, obviously he sleeps with her. No, he hates her. He treats her with disdain and disrespect. Even the terminology used for sleeping with her, like I said earlier, is not a good one. It's not he knew her. It's not he loved her. It's he hated her. So, he hates her, and she is there basically to fulfill a need for him. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now, and this is kind of a question, for now my husband will love me. Maybe now he'll love me. So in her desperate attempt to seek the love of her husband, she says, she names this boy Reuben. God saw and gave me a son. Reuben is God saw a son. See a son is what it means. Reuben. See a son. God saw and he gave me a son. This should hearken us back all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. 3 verse 15. Where God says the seed of the woman crushed at a snake. She's thinking, now my redemption is at hand. Through my son here I will get redemption. And look at her focus of redemption. Through my son here, I will get redemption. And now, maybe my husband will love me. Painful. 
through this son, maybe I'll get redemption. And now my husband will love me. It's the same thing Eve says when she bores, when she bears Cain. Behold, look, I have gotten a son with the help of the Lord. Now maybe I'll have redemption. She bears a second son here in verse 33. She bore, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Simeon, uh, <coughs> this idea of Simeon is that the Lord saw that she was hated and in a state of hate, in a state of hate. He recognizes that her husband does not love her and she gets a second son. That's Leah's point of view. It's not God's point of view. This is Leah's point of view. Leah says, he has seen that I am hated. He gave me a second son. Then he gives her a third son. Verse 34, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now my husband will be attached to me because I have borne three sons. And she called his name Levi. Levi, by the way, means to attach. Grab hold of. To attach yourself to. So, she named her son. Maybe now he will be attached to me. Maybe now he will be my husband and he will love me. So the first three children, she's thinking, these have to bring me redemption. The work of my hands, the affection of my heart, they have to bring me fulfillment. They have to bring me redemption. And she finds nothing. There are things that are absent in this text. That we need to note. <clears throat> the final son she has in this first set of children, this first set of four, is all about Leah. In this first set of four, she has a she conceived again there in verse 35 and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. Leah has four children, four sons before she realizes where her focus needs to be. She has four sons before she recognizes, I need to look at the Lord. My fulfillment needs to be found in the Lord. My fulfillment must be found in the Lord. Listen, when you meet a godly uh, woman who has not been able to bear children, I want you to understand they have found that message. And you can learn from them. You can learn from them. They have found that message that my fulfillment will not be in things of this earth. And children, if they are godly, you can learn from them. So Judah stands here as the fourth child in this first segment. And as you know, as you should know, Judah is the line of Jesus. The first child that gets recognized as praise to the Lord is the line of Christ, the Savior. He's the line of kings. He's the Davidic kingdom. He is the, he is the one who will usher in the seed of the woman who will crush that of the snake. Indeed, it is when we focus on the will, heart, and glory of the Lord God Almighty that we see salvation. So here in this first cycle, she has these three 
children, three sons, Reuben, the oldest and the largest tribe, eventually Simeon, uh, and then Levi, the priestly line, and then Judah, the one who would usher in the Messiah in this first section. Now, let's take some note of some things we don't see. One, do you see Jacob anywhere in there? No. He's not there to comfort her. He's not there to talk to her. He's not there to do anything for her. Now, there's been two other patriarchs to this point, and both of them had barren wives. Do you remember what it says about both of those patriarchs? And they sought the Lord on behalf of... They prayed for their wives. But Jacob is lousy. He's out in the field working. Coming home, sleeping with his wife, and then leaving. And that's it. Lousy. Men... Don't be like Jacob. And I'll tell you why you shouldn't be selfishly, why you shouldn't be like Jacob, is because Jacob doesn't get anything until his hip gets broken. So sure, if you want to walk around with a limp the rest of your life broken, be like Jacob. Sure, God will break those he loves. Or you could turn and pray to the Lord and follow after him. So, let's continue. Chapter 30, now we move to the second set. So you've got the first set, which is Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Now you've got the second set. And this is Rachel and Leah begin to struggle. Rachel and Leah begin to struggle, much like Jacob and Esau were struggling. Oldest struggling with the youngest for preeminence. Rachel and Leah struggling with each other. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Okay, now let's just deal with this. Good theology does not make you good or right. Jacob's got decent theology here. The Lord is the one who opens and closes the womb. He's got decent theology. It's not great. It's not, it's not great. Because great theology leads you to be a good man. It's okay theology. He's got that down. The Lord opens and closes wombs. But just because you understand something good in theology, or you've got some hold on theology solid, does not make you a good man. Indeed, what makes you a good man is your character and the work that you put into knowing the Lord. So Jacob reveals his character here and that his wife comes to him with this pleading anguish and says, I'm going to die. I have no value. Now understand the, the root of what she's saying. I have no value. I have no, I have no interest. Nobody is looking at me. Nobody honors me. I am not valued on this earth. I can't even accomplish my purpose. This is painful admission. And she tells this to her husband in a dramatic fashion, and he gets angry with her. This is a lousy man. Indeed, I have also been a lousy man. I have been angry when I should have been kind. I have been spiteful when I should have been tender. 
Praise God that Jesus Christ changes the heart of those who believe. We must recognize that Jacob is not the hero. Because if Jacob is the hero, then all the sinful wickedness of man that we read of in the news, that we decry as sinful and wicked, is hypocrisy for us. Because Jacob is wicked here. He looks at his wife, and though he has good theology, he has no love or compassion or kindness. And good theology without compassion, love, and kindness is worthless. It's worthless hypocrisy. It's what we see in our politicians. All of them. I'm not picking a side. Every single one of them. So, there's prayerlessness from Jacob and a lack of sympathy for his wife. And like Leah, it's not until she... With Leah, it wasn't until she took her eyes off of her husband and put them on the Lord that she was granted some modicum of peace. So Rachel sees her slight peace. There's not love from Jacob. She's not getting affection from Jacob. Rachel sees that Leah is slightly at peace. Not even totally. We know she's not totally at peace because of the next couple verses. But she's slightly at peace. She kind of starts to feel like she can worship the Lord. She starts to feel this way. And I want you to understand, Christian, that when God uh, gives you a slight modicum of peace, the world is going to see that as competition. That they now have to compete against you. And Leah and Rachel begin to compete. And she says, give me children or I will die. And then in verse 3, she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf. And even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. And Jacob went into her. How convoluted and messed up is this? They want so much to justify their own deeds that they take a servant and give him to her as a wife as if that changes the fact that he's just got a concubine. As if that changes this. As if calling her a wife makes it okay. Do you see them trying to be righteous on their own? Trying to get satisfaction on their own? Without trusting the Lord? So Bilhah has a child, verse 4, so she gave him Bilhah as a servant. Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. There's an irony here, in that God has judged her. She thinks it means God has seen and measured and found her worthy. In reality, God is giving her the desires of her heart, which will lead her to more trouble. Rachel said, God has judged me and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. 
This is not the same name as Israel, just so you're aware. There's no cognate connection. Uh, you can stretch and say that there might be, but there's not. This is not the same name. You know Israel means one who wrestles with God. Naphtali is the word twisted or bound up or twisted together. So the image is of somebody wrestling and struggling, but it's like the image of a snake wrapping itself around its prey. How dark is that? You named your kid Twisted Snake. She feels as though she's winning now and she's twisted. She believes herself to be the victor in a competition. So when she says here, if you go jump back up just for a second, and she says to Jacob uh, with Bilhah there in verse 3, Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf, that I, even I, may have children through her. The phrase for may have children is the phrase that I may be built up. That I may be built up, like exalted, built built up um, battlements put on a ship, right? Like that I may be strengthened and built up by Bilhah. She seeks to find her own righteousness and her own upbuilding in Bilha, in her own deeds. Oh, what trouble awaits when we try to find our own righteousness in our own hand. Leah, verse 9, Leah saw that she ceased bearing children, so she took her servant Zilpah and gave him, gave her to Jacob as a wife. Again, trying to approve of something that is wicked. She, she gives her to him as a wife. Saying, look, it's okay, because I made her a wife. Listen, you try to cover over something wicked by doing the right thing, and it just compounds the sin. Gives her to him as a wife. And she takes in verse 10, and Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. So she's now got good fortune and Asher, who are not good fortune and happy, who are not hers, but are Zilpah's. So she gets to claim them as hers, because Zilpah was her slave. And so she gets to claim these two children. So she says, Not only do I have good fortune, she's rubbing it in her sister's nose, not only do I have good fortune, pointing back to the first four, what she's doing. I have good fortune, first four plus two, but I'm also called happy by everyone else. Ha ha ha, sister. Ha ha ha. And she and Rachel are in the midst of a battle, fighting like crazy. When we think that our circumstances and position in life depend on kids, money, prestige, the like, we will inevitably miss out on the joy of life, of knowing God, and we will make it very difficult. Life, that is. We will make life very difficult. By attempting to make our own righteousness, we will bring more sorrow. So Leah here has Gad and Asher, and she feels like she's winning. 
Do you notice where Jacob is in the story? Not there. He's not there. A godly man in this story would look at his wives and go, this is not okay. And would turn and repent and seek the Lord. And he would live as godly as possible in the circumstance he has set for himself. A godly man would live as godly as possible in the circumstance that he finds himself in. Now, we have the exchange of food for birthright. Literally, birthright. Verse 14. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in a field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, uh, mandrakes in that time period were a superstitious fruit. You found the mandrakes, and it was a aphrodisiac, according to the culture. They thought that these things bore, if you ate them, they thought you'd have a kid. This is old wives' tale superstition from ancient Canaan. And they would take these mandrakes, and they would eat them, and then they'd be like, my husband is going to love me more, and I'm going to have children. These were aphrodisiac fruits. That's what they thought, anyway. So they, uh, Reuben goes and gets the fruit. Now, this should immediately, the fact that this is a mandrake, the fact that these women are arguing over it, should immediately draw your mind to the fact that they aren't worshiping Yahweh. That they are far from Him. That they have not given up their old idols. That though they are living with a man who claims to know Yahweh, that the Lord God Almighty has come down and shown him the house of Bethel. That he's shown him God's house. Though that has happened, these two women know nothing of that God. Other than they're supposed to ask him for stuff. They are still steeped in their superstitions and idolatry. Which plays out, by the way, in the next couple chapters. So, the mandrakes, this superstitious love fruit, is used here. Reuben goes and gets it for Leah. And then in verse 15, Rachel, or verse 14, Rachel asks her, please give me some of those. And Leah says, is it a small matter that you have taken my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes also? This is a bitter, bitter feud between two bitter women. Leah is saying, I only find my value in children, and you want to take that from me too. You want to take my fertility from me too. And you stole my husband already. He loves you and hates me. This is a bitter feud. There is not sisterly love between these two. And Rachel says to her, then he may lie to you, lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrake. Okay, just for a moment, Rachel just pimped out her husband. Like, this is, you can chuckle, it's okay. Like, that's so wrong. For fruit? Just did it for fruit? At least with Esau, there was a legal tender. This is some fruit. Not even all of it, did you notice? Some. 
exchanges him for food. When Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me. This is the way it reads in Hebrews. You must sleep with me, for I have hired you with the mandrakes my son brought me. You must sleep with me because I have hired you with the mandrakes my son brought me. Now, um, just to be clear, there's some things we can see in the relationships here that are kind of uh, gut-wrenching. One is that evidently Jacob at some point stopped sleeping with Leah. Just stopped giving her any physical affection. He started by giving her a bunch of physical affection, and you can see that because she has four kids. Then she ceases bearing children, and he evidently started to think, okay, well, I'm done with her, and she's been cast aside. At some point, he stopped giving intimacy to his wife. Paul states this is wrong. You don't withhold that from each other book of 1 Corinthians. You don't withhold that from each other. And she feels abandoned, rejected. She she has not received any kind of intimacy. She goes out and says, I bought you with my son's mandrakes. And Jacob says nothing. This is a lousy man. I hope you've seen that as a refrain as we've gone through here. This is a lousy man because it's going to come up here in the conclusion in just a minute. And hopefully you'll see redemption. So when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out and met him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband, so she called his name Issachar. So Leah recognizes God gives her children, that God is the one who gives her children, and she says, I've gotten my wages from the Lord. It's not a good thing. You don't want wages. You don't want wages from the Lord. If you get wages, you'll never measure up. Leah's testimony to that. And that she doesn't measure up at all here in this text. She does not find peace. She does not find happiness. You don't want wages. You want mercy. And you want grace. So, next, Leah says, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to the Lord. And then verse 19, and she conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Six children. Now, there are eight that Leah claims. Six of them are her actual children. She has Six children. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. She called his name Zebulun. And afterwards, she bore him a daughter and called her name Dinah. So she is still seeking honor. She's got seven kids. It's important that you recognize she's got seven kids. All that she needs for Sabbath rest is before her. And God still stands with his hands open saying, I can redeem your situation. I will redeem you, Leah. I will rescue you. 
Your husband cannot redeem you. Women, your husband cannot redeem you. Men, you are not your wife's savior. Leah hopes she will get honor from the Lord. So there's a small application to draw here from Leah before we move to this last child, and that is just because you get favor from the Lord does not mean that you are right. Just because you get favor from the Lord does not mean you are right. Leah has seven kids. That's very favorable. That is blessing on her. That doesn't mean that she's in the right. That means God is merciful and gracious and is pleading with Leah. Leah, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the one giving you these children. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at God. Focus on God, focus on Yahweh. I'm the one who will redeem you. I'm the one who gave you Judah. I'm the one who's going to bring the seed to save you. I'm the one. Look to me, and it's this constant pleading and this constant turning her face away from God and trying to find honor elsewhere. Finally, here in verse 22, Leah has had seven children. Bilhah has had two. Zilpah has had two. Verse 22, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son. Said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. May the Lord add to me another son. She recognizes that it is God who does it. She then recognizes him by name. May Yahweh add to me another son. May he add to me another son. Joseph is born and Rachel thinks, now I have value. Now I have value. Now I'm meaningful. Now I have purpose. And what she misses is this beautiful truth that God knew her name and her plight and her condition and was standing with her even in the midst of her barrenness. That the whole time God has been engaging the earth up and down the ladder, taking care of every little detail, providing for her and defending her. What she missed was that God redeems. God will take this very sinful situation and these will become the tribes of Israel. God will take what is wicked and sinful here and these will become the tribes of his people. And they will continue to behave this way all the way through. But God is gracious and loving and kind. And he will stay with them. Indeed, he will bring through this, through these tribes, through the tribe of Judah, he will bring rescue to all nations. That everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be redeemed. 
And that comes through the line of Judah. That if we repent and believe in Christ Jesus, we are saved. Indeed, as we see Jacob, lousy husband, lousy lousy follower of God who doesn't pray, doesn't seek the Lord's will, doesn't try to understand, we see him get blessed, not because he is good. We see his wives blessed, not because they are good. We even see his servants blessed, not because they are good, but because God is merciful and kind. And he walks with us through our trouble and through our turmoil to eventually bring us salvation in Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you are um, in a place where you are just killing it in your Christian walk, or if you're being like Jacob, or if you're desperate for God to move like Leah and Rachel were, or if you're in a place of severe turmoil, or if everything's great. I don't know where you are, but I want you to hear this very clearly. God knows exactly where you are. He sees the exact state you are in, and he is calling to you to follow as hard as you can after Jesus Christ, that you would know him and rejoice with him, that you would find your delight in him, that you would find your identity in who he is.